great to see you. It's good to be back again. We were here, and then we were gone, then we were here, then we were gone. So we really do work for a living. And uh, it's great to see you all here this morning. Welcome to those in the chapel as well. And, uh, you know, it's really important that you know what the score is. Uh, I should have asked my sons before I got in here, but in the NBA playoffs last year, it was game one or game two, LeBron and the Cavs were playing the Warriors, and then they were like tied, is that right, Tej? Like tied, and and, and the Cavs missed a free throw, and one of the Cavs players rebounded the ball, but he didn't know what the score was. It was tied. He thought they were ahead. If you're an NBA fan, which I'm not, he thought, and there's some Golden State Warriors fans back there, right there, praising the Lord for this. Because this was like game one. You would have lost that series had he laid this back up and in. But anyways, he, he, he thought they were ahead, so with four seconds to go, he just dribbled out. And then the memes of LeBron going, because you got to know what the score is. They ended up losing, I think, in overtime. Actually, got they get swept? Yeah. So, that, I mean, they didn't win any games, actually. If, they, if he had hit that layup, Sean, you guys would have been done, man. It would have been, he would still be in Cleveland. But anyways, my uh, son who is here, he is, uh, uh, he's 18 now. But when he was about five, he was playing full pads tackle football in Tennessee. Because that's how they get such good college football teams in the state of Tennessee. Which now I think that's considered child abuse. I'm not sure. I think, I think it's, it's, called, it's called breath football. You breathe on them and they're down. Anyways, I digress. But uh, so we're, we're playing in this game. Trevor's on the, floor, on the field. And um, he doesn't fully grasp all the nuances of the game. But he knows if you're not wearing the jersey I got on, I'm going to knock you down. So when his team was on offense, he just found somebody with another jersey. Boom, he just knocked him down. And when his team was on defense, he just found some another jersey. It might be two seconds after the play or five seconds after the play. The kid probably didn't have the ball any of the time. He's just, boom, he's just knocking him down. We talked about it last night. We tried to remember the score. He didn't remember. Janelle didn't remember. But we know this. They had a whole bunch, and our team didn't score any. So we get in the car on our way home, and Trevor says, boy, Daddy, we showed them, didn't we? Because every play, he was pounding somebody. He didn't know the score. It, it really matters in, in life. It matters in our families. It matters in our churches. It matters in our own walk with the Lord that we understand where we stand. What the score really is. And over the past few weeks, as I have been around, and, and my wife and I have traveled some, and I've been thinking and pondering on a lot of different things, and one of the things that the Lord has just been stirring in my heart, and so uh, over the next two to three weeks before we start into our fall series, you're going to get the overflow of what's been stirring in my heart, and, and, and one of the things that's stirring in my heart is that it's how important it is that we have an authentic understanding and experience of the power and the work of God in our life and in our churches. 
Because if we're not careful, in the church world especially, we can run around and just tackle people on the other team and think we're winning. But we need to know what the score is. We live in a day where it's imperative that we, need, we know where we stand. God has given me an increasing hunger for spiritual authenticity that produces spiritual power, both personally and for the church of Jesus Christ. If we mistake our condition as the people of God, we will lose focus and have no power. And God has called us at Eastlake to be a place of spiritual authenticity and power. If, if you don't get anything out, of, anything out of the rest of this sermon, get this right here. That my prayer, my passion, my desire, my, my, my longing and my, my cry to the Lord is this. That East Lake will be a place where men and women come and they are truly transformed by the power of God. Not just a place where we slip in and get our little Christian fix once a week so we can have a little better week the rest of the week. No, no, no. If you're here to be anonymous, we are going to find you and pray that the Holy Spirit messes you up. Amen? Because how many of us know that it's really important that we know really what's going on in the world spiritually? Amen? And God has given us a passion and a a burden and a vision as a church to be a place that, that is permeated by the power of God so that the men and women leave different to make a difference in the world in which we live. And that's our prayer. We don't want to just be a nice, cute little church that builds a nice, little, cute little building and nice, little, bigger building, and we all get together, and, we just, and we're trying to follow some model, some Western Christianity model that we just kind of, uh, we're just a nice, big, successful church. No, we want to really make a difference for the glory in the kingdom of God. Amen? We've got to know the score, though. I want to look at an Old Testament passage of Scripture that highlights for us the importance of knowing the score. Actually, I want to talk about two extremes that I think are in the realm of the church or spiritual, our, our spiritual journeys. Two extremes that I think uh, capture us at times that prevent us from doing all that God wants us to do. Go with me to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Let me put it in context for you for just a moment. Jeremiah lived about 650 years or so before Jesus. And you might remember, in, in, if, you, if you studied history, you might remember that in 586 B.C., the Babylonian Empire came into Jerusalem. This is not just a spiritual story. It's a spiritual story, but it is also a fact of history. The Babylonian Empire came into Jerusalem, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, took a bunch of people captive and carried them away to modern-day Iraq. And that happened... As a result of the people of Israel denying God and disobeying God, but it happened after many, 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 many years of the prophet Jeremiah preaching to them, you need to stop worshiping those other idols. You need to repent and turn to God. Repent and turn to God, or God's going to bring judgment. Repent and turn to God, or God. Jeremiah had one sermon series his entire ministry. His sermon series was repent one, two, three, all the way to repent 1,000. His church wasn't very popular, to put it in modern terms. He was despised by a lot of people and by by the religious world of his day. 
But his message was repent. And eventually he got to the point where his message changed a little bit. It was the second part of his series that says, you need to repent, but even if you do repent, you're still going to be judged. And the judgment was that the Babylonians are going to come in here and they're going to destroy our city and they're going to carry us captive and we're going to be captive to the Babylonians for 70 years. And as I said a moment ago, the people didn't like that message. Jeremiah's church didn't grow very big. One, one writer, Stan Key, who spoke at our camp a couple years ago, he said, I just imagine Jeremiah standing out in the parking lot of the megachurch saying, don't go in there, that guy's not telling you the truth. What's really happening is the Lord's going to come and judge us, and we're all going to be in judgment for 70 years. And people scoffed at him, they put him in jail, they beat him, they did all kinds of, the, 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 the Jewish religious system persecuted Jeremiah. And what happened was, what rose up were some other prophets who had another message besides Jeremiah's message. And in, Je- in Jeremiah chapter 27, again, in Jeremiah, you, you'll see the, the uniqueness of who he was. In Jeremiah chapter 27, the Lord said, all right, Jeremiah, make yourself a yoke out of wood with leather straps and put it around your neck, and I want you to walk around and tell the people that this is the yoke of Babylon, and you, need to, you just need to submit to, their, to, to them coming in and taking over. You just need to submit to them. So can you imagine the preacher walking around town with a wooden yoke hanging around his neck? You know, that's worse than the turn and burn guy downtown New York or whatever. He had this wooden yoke. And they're in, they come to the temple. And let's begin reading in verse number 1 of Jeremiah 28. In that same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fifth month and of the fourth year. Somebody says, what does all of that mean? That's, 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 that's proof that the Bible is a really good history book. It's Jesus, uh, the Lord God made sure that he put all the details in there so you can verify it. Go back and study history. You can verify when this was. And Hananiah, the son of Azar... The prophet from Gibeon spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priest and all the people. He spoke to the prophet of God, Jeremiah, in the house of God, amongst the priest of God, and amongst all the people. This false prophet, Hananiah, stands up. Now you got Jeremiah standing over here with a noose around his neck, with a, with a, with a yoke around his neck, a wooden yoke. And this is what the Hananiah says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, so this priest, this, this prophet stands up and says, This is what the Lord says. I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Jeremiah standing over the yoke around his neck. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all of the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. And here's Jeremiah with the yoke around his neck. You see, Jeremiah had been preaching that the, the Lord that there's going to be a yoke around the nation of Israel. It's the nation of Babylon, and it's going to last for 70 years. And he goes to church one Sunday, and the preacher stands up and looks at him kind of funny with a condescending glare and says, this is the word of the Lord. The Lord is going to break the yoke. Two years, we're good. Everything's fine. Then the prophet Jeremiah, verse 5, spoke to Hananiah, the prophet, in the presence of the priest and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. Hallelujah. 
May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words that you have prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. Whoo! Hallelujah. I hope you're right. But you're not. And Jeremiah goes on to say that prophets before us prophesied famine and judgment and, and, and the one who prophesies peace, when his prophecy comes true, we'll know he's a true prophet. And then Jeremiah goes on to say, but before this year's over, you're going to be dead. And Hananiah was dead that year. Hananiah, just for, for understanding the part, he went over and broke the yoke off of Jeremiah. said, see, he did, a little, he did a little object lesson for the church that day. He broke the yoke off of Jeremiah's neck. And when he got done, the Lord told Jeremiah, go make a yoke of iron and put it around your neck. And so they, Jeremiah is prophesying about the coming Babylonian attack and rule. And this Hananiah, this false prophet, stands up in the midst and proclaims everything is going to be great. In this story, there are really, there are really two extremes when it comes to understanding the score. Let me give them to you very quickly. The first one is this, that when you think you're winning, but you're not. When you think you're winning, but actually you're not. It's spiritual deception is what Hananiah was dealing with. He was confidently proclaiming victory while the enemy was lining up outside the gates. He was saying, everything's okay. People just calm down. They had this enormous religious system in the the Jewish world. They had a beautiful temple. They had 400 synagogues in, in, in Jerusalem. They had synagogues all throughout the country. They had all of the law. They had it all written. They had it all out on scrolls. They had all of this practice and system of religion. And everything was really doing okay. And Jeremiah prophesies that the Lord has said that, in, that, that, that if you don't repent, Babylon's coming and they're going to destroy us and they're going to hold us captive for 70 years. And the prophet stood up and said, no, 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 no. That's not really it. What's really going on is we're okay. We're okay. Oh, maybe two years, but not, not 70. We're fine. And everything around him really kind of confirmed that there wasn't like the Babylonians weren't storming through the streets at this moment. As a matter of fact, history tells us that the Babylonian army was in a battle right at this time with the nation of Egypt. And if CNN and Fox News were covering it, they'd have said Judah is of little consequence to the Babylonians right now. Hananiah is probably right. But here's the deal he didn't know the score. He didn't know the score. One of the passions of my heart over the past couple months has become more and more, and that is simply this, that Eastlake will always be a place that knows the score. That you'll be a person who knows the score. I know one of these days I'm going to come back from vacation with my Psalm 23 sermon. I'm sorry that I brought my Jeremiah 28 sermon. I'm not, but if it makes you feel better. I mean, you ought to come back from vacation all nice and rested and say, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Ah, everybody go home. But this is what the Lord has been stirring in my heart. He's been stirring in my heart that we need to know the score. And as I look at the church world across the nation and and, and other, I I have a feeling that we're tackling a lot of people and we we think we're winning. But we don't know the score. It's, it's really rooted in this, and, and I, I, I want to be very careful. I prayed earnestly this morning before I came over here the, to the church. I was like, Lord, I don't want to sound 
arrogant or haughty or I, I don't have it all together. Eastlake hasn't figured it all out. But, but I want to tell you something. The church, in a lot of places, we go through a lot of motion, a lot of function, a lot of religious activity. We know how to do it. We've got it figured out. We can see it. We observe it. We assess it. We analyze it. We, we, we create and form our own opinion. And we think we're just doing great and everything's going to be fine. And I'm not sure that we're not, in some cases, spiritually deceived. He was speaking eloquently and optimistically about the future and everything that seemed to corroborate his opinion. He stood squarely in the midst of the house of God amongst the people of God, the priest of God, right before the prophet of God, and proclaimed they were winning. Characteristics of the spiritually deceived are we mistake prosperity for blessing. Short-term prosperity does not mean long-term blessing. You see, he was doing a lot better than Jeremiah was doing. Jeremiah's this despised prophet with a wooden yoke hanging around his neck, and everybody's laughing at him. We mist- he mistook prosperity for blessing. Hannah and I was looking at the current condition and could see no evidence that things were as Jeremiah was saying they were. The Babylonians were occupied in fighting Egypt at that moment, and it appeared that all things were good. And Hannah and I just said, hey, you know what? We're good. This is the, this, God is good. Spiritually deceived, we mix truth with error. He actually, Hananiah actually took, he actually took part of what Jeremiah said. He said, yeah, the Babylonians are coming, but it's not 70 years, it's two. He mixed truth with error. He valued man's opinion more than God's word. This was a word from Hananiah, not a word from the Lord. Oh, can I just stop for a minute and say, if we need anything in our lives, in our families, and in our churches, you know what we need? We need a word from the Lord. We need a word from the Lord. We need to hear from God. We need to know the word of God. the, The new covenant application of this wonderful truth is that whatever we do must be rooted and grounded in the word of God. The word of God is true, amen? But did you know the word of God is also sufficient? It's enough. And I'm, I'm, I'm committed 100% that the, the work that we do here at Eastlake is going to be rooted in the Word of God when we teach and when we preach. Teaching our children. I was in, I was in the uh, lower school chapel on Friday morning to speak in their opening chapel service. That will make you study. I'm way more nervous preaching there than I am here, trust me. I got to tell on, where's Aaron? Is he in here? This, Aaron's here. His little boy's on the front row. I said, how many five-year-olds here? Raise your hand. All the five-year-olds raise your hand. And I'm like this, and he ra- all these five-year-olds raise. He goes, you're not five years old. Put your hand out. <laughs> he wasn't disrespectful at all, Aaron. I promise. He was so cute. It was awesome. But you know what I loved? I loved those kids singing, these are the books of the Bible. The wonderful books of the Bible. Then they were singing Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I can't rap. But anyways, it was kind of a rap. (laughs) Because I want to tell you something. We can value man's opinion. We can have nice opinions. We can mix truth with error. And I'm telling you, it's happening all over in the church world. We take enough Christian to make it nice. And we say it so it makes everybody feel good. Nobody feels bad. Everybody's good. And you know what? I want to tell you something. We don't know the score. Without the word of God, without the truth of God's word, 
The truth of God's word is glorious and beautiful and powerful and wonderful. I want to tell you something. We've so commercialized the word of God, and I might be getting off an exit here and getting distracted, but it's okay. We don't have a fourth service. We have so commercialized the word of God that people living in outright sin and rebellion against God wear these cute little things around their neck that just quote scriptures. They claim the promises. I want to tell you something. The promises of God are not for those who are living in rebellion against God. Jeremiah is standing there isolated alone. Hannah and I is standing up and saying, oh, no, guys, it's all good. You're fine. Just keep worshiping your idols. Just keep doing, just keep breaking the Ten Commandments. It's okay. God is good. He thought he was winning, but he wasn't. Values man's opinion more than God's, and he focuses on pleasing people, not upon pleasing God. The messaging always favors man over God. This, mess, this is the message that the people wanted to hear. But the second extreme is seen in Jeremiah himself a bit later when the Babylonians have besieged the city and taken the Jewish people captive. As a matter of fact, the Babylonians, and and the book of Jeremiah is not perfectly chronological, so some things it's talking about that have already happened, then it goes back and prophesies what will happen, so it's not like a perfectly chronological book. But, But later on in the book, we read about the utter devastation that, that the Babylonians brought upon the nation of Israel. They actually did what Jeremiah prophesied they were going to do. They destroyed the city. And, and the descri- I read this week about the description of that. And it's just graphic and grotesque. The people were forced. That when they knew the Babylonians were right at the gate. They came running into the cities. They went into the gates of these cities. All these people in the cities in Judah. And, and, and the Babylonians were about to attack. And the people were trying to live crammed in these cities. It was overpopulated. They didn't have enough water. They ran out of wood and stuff to burn to make, make their food. They were burning their own excrement and cooking over it. They were getting diseased. People were dying. They, had, they couldn't take the trash outside of the city because the Babylonians were there. They couldn't take the, 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 the uh, human waste outside of the city. They couldn't take dead bodies outside of the city. Disease was rampant. This was, they, were, they, were, they were huddled in, and the, and the Babylonians stormed the gates, came in and started slaughtering people, destroying things, and took a bunch of them captive. And it's the worst, in, the worst thing that Jeremiah could ever imagine. And the book of Lamentations, which is the lamenting of Jeremiah, it was really an addendum to the book of Jeremiah. We've, we've later separated it in the Bible. But in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, what we see is we see the other extreme. And the other extreme is this. We think we're losing, but actually we're not. Jeremiah looked at the, looked at the ruin of the, the city of Babylon. He looked at the desolation he looked at everything that was there and he said, we're done. And God said, no, you don't know the score. And I think this message is for somebody here this morning because this week Satan has been whispering some stupid stuff in your ear. And he's been telling you because of this, because of that, this is too far gone, this is dark, this is too dark, this is, God doesn't care, God's not answering your prayer, God has been saying this, I mean, Satan has been saying this over, and I'm just here this morning to remind you that that's not the score. Jeremiah, 
If you, it, it's spiritual discouragement is what it is what it amounts to. And I believe that a lot of people live in one of these two places. And I believe a lot of churches. I think a lot of churches are in one of these two places. I think there are churches that just going through the motions that they think because we have big buildings and lots of people and everybody's saying nice things about us and our music's good and whatever, whatever. And because we're because we're successful as the world counts success, then 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 we're winning. I want to tell you something. There's some things we can do without the help of God, and one of them is we can have church on Sunday morning. We can have sermons on Sunday morning. We can have music on Sunday morning. And you can do that without the help of God. Now, I hope that doesn't sound arrogant because it's absolutely not. It's rooted in the reality that, yes, we can perform some function without the help of God, but we can't see lives transformed and we can't change this world without the help of God. You know, it scares the daylights out of me when I think about it. And I, 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 I'm a connoisseur of the church. I really am. I, I, I watch church services on TV. Uh, part of them, I'm a bad attender. I get up and leave and go to the bathroom a lot. But anyways, I watch services online. I want to see how churches are. And, 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 and it, it, I want to tell you something. The reality is, in a lot of places, we're going through the motions. And we, we, we think we're winning and we're not. And we live in this place. And I'm talking about good people, not evil, vile people, not Hananiah. I'm talking about people that just, they've never tasted the power of God. So they don't know what it feels like. Churches are there, people are there, or we're in this other extreme where we feel like things are so dark and bleak and the world is so big and mean and everybody's against us, so we just get and we don't see the power of God and we don't believe in the power of God. We 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 sing about the power of God and we send Christian cards to friends with the power of God and we read Bible verses about the power of God, but we really don't believe the power of God's gonna work. That's where Jeremiah was. The city was laid bare. People were killed and captive. After the Babylonians had swept in and destroyed the city, in these moments he temporarily loses track of the actual score. Listen, listen to what he, 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 there's a scoreboard. Jeremiah has a scoreboard in Lamentations chapter 3. Listen to it. In, in, in Lamentations chapter 3 verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. Look at verse 2. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me the Lord has turned his hand in verse 3. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. Verse 7, he has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Jeremiah, this is the score, this is the visitor's score on the scoreboard. God doesn't hear my prayer. God has turned against me. God has forsaken me. He's blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He's like a bear lying in wait for me. He turned aside my steps. He bent his bow and set, set me as his target. Isn't that a picture? Here's God. With a bow and arrow. And Jeremiah says, God has pulled his bow and I'm the target. What is he saying? He's saying, on the scoreboard, the enemy has a lot. He goes on to say, I have become the lacking stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has sated me with wormwood. Verse 18, so I say my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. You see, he, 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 he didn't know what the score was. He thought he was losing. 
Just like some of you think you're losing. Some of you in the chapel, you think you're losing. Some of you watching online, you think you're losing. Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. He's a deceiver. He's an accuser. Satan is, 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 Satan is your worst enemy. And in this past seven days, Satan has said some terribly awful, vile, untrue things in your ear. About you, about your marriage, about your kids, about your grandkids, about your future, about your education, whatever. He said some things. And I want to tell you something. It may look like he's got a lot of points, but just hold on. There's another side to this scoreboard that Jeremiah recalls. And so it seems that the people of God find themselves in, in one of these two places. A place of deception or discouragement. Could it be that we're so occupied with our own successes and functions as a church that we can't see the score? Or, or is it that we see the darkness around us so imminent and we once again lose sight of the scoreboard and believe that the enemy is winning when actually he is not? And so churches and the people of God are paralyzed on the one hand by pride and self-sufficiency and on the other hand we're paralyzed by fear and doubt. And what we really need to know is the true score. And here's the true score. Jeremiah captures it. He begins in verse number 20. He says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But, verse 21, but this I call to mind. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. All of a sudden we're going to see the home score. The, the visitor's score, God has turned against me. God doesn't love me. I have no hope in the Lord. He's not answering my prayers anymore. He's shooting me with bows and arrows. And one of it, I didn't read it. He says he's making me chew on gravel. Isn't that, a, isn't that a picture? And then Jeremiah says, but then I call to mind. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And this is what he calls to mind, verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, which means enough, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Well, just a minute ago, he said there was no hope in the Lord. But you know what? That's the other score. But this is the real score. And the real score is God is winning. And Jeremiah is victorious. And God is on his side. And even though he thought he was losing, he actually was not. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And so Jeremiah changes his, his perspective, is changed. And here's the pathway. This is the pathway, what, what I call the pathway to spiritual authenticity and power. Because this is the characteristics that I pray and long that God will make, will embed in every one of us and in just who Eastlake really is. That Eastlake will always know what the real score is. And he, here's, here's the pathway to spiritual authenticity according to Jeremiah. In, number one, in humility, we must recognize our desperate need of God's help. Hananiah and the false prophets were filled with pride. The nation of Israel was filled with pride. If you go back and study the book of Jeremiah, what you see in Jeremiah, even though we think of Jeremiah, he has a book in the Bible named after him. Jeremiah is a prophet. Woo, he's a mighty man. What you find is Jeremiah humbly bowed before the Lord in 52 straight chapters saying, Oh God, I desperately need you. Oh God, I desperately need you. I pray that God creates a, creates a, uh, a culture of spiritual desperation in our church. You say, Pastor Troy, that's not cool. That's not going to attract people. We need to act like we have our act together. Well, okay, turn the air on, put nice carpet down. But when we get in here, we need to say, oh, God, we desperately need you. 
Amen. Because the moment we get up and start preaching like Hananiah, God will leave the joint. The moment we get up and say, oh, we're good, we're good. And we just, because you want to know something, trying to please people and wanting to please people and wanting to make people feel good and mixing a little truth with a little bit of error is the way, it it is the common way in this day. But I want to tell you something, the way to really experience victory is to hear the word of the Lord and embrace the word of the Lord. And humility recognize our desperate need of God's help. Verse 20, Jeremiah recognizes that. And, and secondly, in, in faith, we must remember the awesome power and character of God. Amongst the worst that Jeremiah was experiencing, the, the steadfast of the Lord, love of the Lord was not failing. The worst, you're, the worst thing that you're experiencing in your family or in your life, I got news for you. The steadfast love of the Lord is not failing. He is holding and, 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 and taking care of whatever's going on. He is there. Even when Jerusalem was being totally besieged, Jeremiah said, I called this to mind, that the steadfast of love of the Lord never ends. It endures forever. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. This, you know what, in the worst of times, we can just look at the scoreboard and yeah, the other team might be racking up points on us, but I got good news for you. The Lord God takes care of his children. Thirdly, in obedience, we must passionately pursue God with all of our hearts. He says, the Lord is my portion. In other words, the Lord is enough for me. The Lord is enough for me. When I recognize this, I have hope, he said. Jeremiah said, because the Lord is my portion, I will do three things. Number one, I will hope in him. I'm going to look to the Lord and I'm going to hope and trust that, that he's going to bring me through. Can I, just, can I just throw this in for free here at the end? I don't know what you're going through this morning, but why don't you just put your hope in the Lord? Amen? Some of you put your hope in your own ingenuity to fix your spouse. I got news for you. It ain't happening. Amen? As a matter of fact, you might just make it worse. You need to put your hope in the Lord. Amen? Hope, isn't it, a good, isn't it a good word this morning to know that whatever I'm facing, whatever I'm facing, I can hope in the Lord. I can, God can do what no one else can do. God can work in ways no man can hinder. God can hinder in ways no man can work. God can work where no man can go. God can speak in ways that no one, that, that people can really understand. God can transform hearts. God can transform minds. I was reading this week about Jairus and his daughter who died, and he, Jesus walked right in there. He raised her from the dead, and I just said, thank you, Lord, that you can do the impossible in any circumstance. Somebody needs to know this this morning. Your hope needs to be in the Lord. You've been hoping for this and hoping for that and hoping for something else. You need to hope in the Lord because God can transform your circumstances. He said, I will hope in Him. I will wait for Him. I will wait for Him. Isn't that good news? He's actually going to come down the lane. He's actually going to show up. And then Jeremiah says, I will seek after Him. 
You know what kind of church I want East Lake to be? I want East Lake to be a church that recognizes its own poverty before God and never gets impressed with itself. I want Eastlake to be a church that highly values the characteristics and the, and the nature of God and always is confident because of who God is. And then I want Eastlake to be a place that regularly is on his face, on their face before God, seeking after God. My soul seeks after you. You know, that, that's not... There's nothing... There's nothing super profound or exciting about it, but what if, what if the greatest thing we could do as a church is just all of us get on our knees and say, oh God, we want you. We need you. We cry out to you. Jeremiah said, I will hope in the Lord. I will wait on the Lord. I will seek after the Lord and I will wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord, confidently depending on knowing that God is coming through. Now, I want to tell you something. That's the score. The score is God won, everybody else nothing. Amen? The score is God will prevail. God will deliver. God will direct if we will wait, seek, hope, trust, depend upon Him. Oh God, make us that kind of church. So this morning, I just closed with this thought. This is a burden on my heart for, ch- for our church and for churches. I'm going to be preaching in a couple places this fall. And I, I probably will bounce out of the same passage and the same concept there. But, but, but it's also a word for somebody this morning who yourself, you don't really know the score in your own life when it comes to the Lord. And this would be a great morning to say, oh God, I acknowledge my own poverty. I acknowledge my own need of you. And Lord, I thank you that your mercies are new. Someone translated, one writer said, you can translate that, your mercies are new every minute. Your mercies are new every minute. And you have, you have expended the mercy of God. He's extended it and you've wasted it. But his mercies are new every minute. And so right now, you say, oh God, I need your mercy. And so as we close, you, you might want to hope in him. And seek after Him and wait for Him and trust in Him and believe in Him. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. Whatever Satan has said, whatever decisions you've made, whatever bad things that have gone on in your life, God can, in a moment, give you the victory over those things. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, we need you this morning. Lord, make us a humble, worshipful seeking after you church make us a place that really knows where our strength lies really knows where our victory comes from Lord I pray for every person that's listening today wherever they may be I pray oh God for that person who's came in here today with a little uncertainty about where they stand but this morning they just want to acknowledge Lord I'm a sinner and I need your grace and your help is there anyone like that with our heads bowed and our eyes closed just say that's me I'm a sinner I need the Lord's help just raise your hand God bless you God bless you and you I need the Lord's help Lord I'm a sinner this morning I need your help Lord I put all of my faith and my trust in you I confidently hope in the fact that your mercies are new every morning your loving your, your steadfast love never ends and your faithfulness is great. 
and you are enough for me. And Lord, right now, I just seek you and I tell you that I want you and I need you. Oh God, would you make us a hungry and a satisfied all at the same time people. Oh, fill us with a hunger, but yet satisfy us with your presence, we pray. We love you, Jesus, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastlakeSML. Thanks for joining us.